throughout Advent, we've been preaching on a series called Jesus and Modern Christmas, how Jesus addresses some of the issues and themes that tend to challenge us around the holidays, and more specifically, how Jesus changes the way that we interact with those themes. Well, this morning, even though we've already done the Christmas thing, I wanted to continue with that series, thinking about how we often continue uh, in our lives from Christmas on into New Year's. Uh, If you haven't already started seeing this, you're probably going to get your year in review video up on Facebook or other social media. You'll probably see year in review stuff on TV or maybe hear a a top 10 songs uh, of the year or even decade this year on the radio or something like that. Um, But this morning, I want you to think about your year of failure in review. What are the top 10 ways that you failed this past year? Messed up big time. That might sound a little mean, maybe even sadistic, but I want you to think about that as we hear this passage read this morning. Let's give ear to the reading of God's word. The word of the Lord, John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word, that you spoke to us uh, generations ago, that you spoke to us by sending your son to show us your love for us, what it looks like Uh, to follow you, to be in relationship with you. We ask this morning that you would help us to be honest with ourselves, knowing that you know us and our hearts way better than we know our own hearts. Uh, Help us to trust that you welcome us in spite of who we are and what we've done. And not only welcome us, but you change us into the image of your son so that we can not only be a part of the family, but fit into your family. We thank you for Jesus. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. About this time last year, I was talking with Katie Chen. And I don't know how this conversation changed to this, but I declared my resolution for 2019 was to read one book a week. 52 books. And if you know Katie Chen, how much she loves to read and to learn, she was super excited about this. Well, I did not do so well on that. I only read five. 
percent. I only read three books total. Um, but I am not including the 5,000 times that I read Margaret Creepy Carrots. So it kind of balances out, right? Like eventually I'll get there. And honestly, that's not that big a deal. Not reading the number of books I said I would. But that conversation came up in my mind the other day when I was shopping at the Amazon bookstore over in Santana Row. I saw a brand new book and I got really excited about it. It's a history book by a, a, a journalist named Dan Carlin. And I was really excited. My first thought was, I bet that's really good. My second thought was, you didn't read any books last year anyway. If you buy this book, it's just going to sit on your nightstand and you're going to feel like such a chump. So I didn't. I just walked out of the store. And even though I didn't use this language, my failure influenced my behavior, right? My guilt changed my decision, which honestly is how most changes are made at this time of year. Past failure, no matter how big, no matter how small, they seem to crop up in our memories this time of year, especially when your pastor asks you to think about them. Uh, they make us want to change as we go forward. We see January 1st as a new start. And most of us think, I don't want to do the same dumb stuff that I did last year. Call it a resolution, call it motivation, whatever. Our past failure changes the way that we approach the new year. The problem is when guilt and shame are what lead us to change, those changes are often not good. And very rarely do they last, which is why Jesus changes us in a different way. The disciple Peter, whose other name is Simon, has failed. I printed in the front of your bulletin the account of his failure from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, To quickly summarize, Peter says, Jesus, I will go with you to the ends of the earth. To jail, to death, I will follow you. But Jesus says, actually, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. Guess what happens? Peter denies Jesus. And at the exact moment that he does, Jesus, who is in the middle of a trial in the house of the high priest, turns and he looks out the window into the courtyard where Peter is standing around a fire and he locks eyes with Peter in the ultimate I told you so moment. Jesus sees that Peter has done exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. And Peter's life changes because of this failure. On the surface, it might seem like the change is a good change, but Jesus has other ideas for Peter, another way for Peter to change, a better resolution for Peter's story. And we see that contained in this conversation from John 21. And I'm convinced That Jesus wants to change the way that we deal with failure. That he is incredibly concerned with how we deal with our own failure. The change that Jesus lays out is pretty straightforward. Don't retreat, return, and be restored. Don't retreat, return, be restored. Those are the three points that we see this morning. We're going to start by looking at this idea of don't retreat. After Peter, Peter's colossal failure, he responds the way most of us do in the face of failure. He retreats to safety, to what he's good at. He puts up walls. He creates these behavioral barriers that he hopes will prevent him from failing again. 
This conversation between Jesus and Peter takes place after Peter's denial, after Jesus' crucifixion, after the disciples have found the tomb Jesus was buried in empty, and after Jesus has again appeared to the disciples in the upper room, and Jesus tells Thomas, one of the other disciples, to put his fingers in the nail holes in Jesus' hands to prove it was really him. Jesus has declared that he has died, he was buried, and now he is alive again. But what does Peter do? He goes back to fishing, back to what he knows best. He was a fisherman when Jesus found him, and now that Jesus is done with him, as he thinks, he's just going to go back to what he's good at, fishing. Not only that, uh, he retreats behind a wall of silence. Peter was the brash, hot-headed, quick-tongued disciple, but now he's had at least three interactions with the resurrected Jesus, and he still hasn't brought up the whole uh, locking eyes uh, failure thing. He's suddenly incredibly silent. And who could blame him? The last time that he opened his big mouth, he stuck his own foot in it. So instead, Peter doesn't even mention it. He withdraws. He retreats. Does that sound familiar to you? That's the way that I tend to deal with my own failure. A couple of days ago, Nicole and our girls were getting ready to make Christmas cookies in the kitchen, and they wanted me to help. Now, you should know one of the reasons that I don't like to cook or bake often is because I follow recipes literally as precisely as possible to ensure that the outcome is as good as the recipe can make it, right? You should also know that three-year-olds don't give a rip about recipes. Um, One of the consistent struggles I have as a father is how frustrated I get when the structure and order I try to create in the house is broken by our girls. So on this particular occasion, when fingers started going into the batter while the mixer was still running, when M&Ms are being thrown across the kitchen, I can feel the tension building in me. When a bowl of melted butter is spilled all over our butcher block, I'm starting to get physically sweaty because I am so anxious. And when Nicole gently tried to show me that the, the cookie dough was being overbeaten, instead of flipping out and yelling, I'm trying to follow the recipe, but these minions won't let me do it, I retreated. I just threw up my hands and walked away because that felt safer to me than losing it there in the kitchen. I withdrew. In the face of failure, we retreat into things that we can control into habits and actions that we are good at, to places and relationships we know can't hurt us, right? We can't fail again if we don't say the same thing or do the same thing or enter into the same situation again. We retreat into safety, if you will. But Jesus doesn't let Peter stay in his quote-unquote safe place. He brings up Peter's failure. As Peter is sitting happy in his old life in the silence of his guilt, Jesus pursues him. And like an annoying brother on a road trip, he just keeps poking at it. He just keeps poking. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Let me ask you a third time. Wink, wink, third time. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Third time, do you love me? Jesus shows Peter, he shows us 
that retreating from failure into safety, into control, might feel good, might feel like it's helping, like it's healing us. It may even create some good changes. After all, Peter's no longer a loudmouth. But Jesus knows that those changes aren't good. For Peter, they're isolating. They set him apart, prevent him from being who he really is. And those changes, even if they are good, they won't last. Don't retreat. Instead, Jesus says, return. Return. Here in this conversation, Jesus has to lead Peter back down a road that is awfully familiar to the one, awfully similar to the one that he had failed on earlier. On that terrible night, a couple of weeks before this conversation, Peter is huddled around a charcoal fire outside the high priest's house, hoping to hear what was going on in Jesus' trial. Three times he's pointed to as being a co-conspirator of Jesus's. Three times he denies it. Fast forward to this conversation. Peter and some other disciples have gone out fishing when the resurrected Jesus appears on the shore of the lake. Peter realizes it's Jesus and he jumps overboard and swims all the way to shore. When the other disciples get there, guess where Jesus and Peter are sitting? Around a fire. Uh, In the front of your bulletin, I have the passage from Luke where uh, Peter tells Jesus that he is so committed to him. But Matthew records it with a little different language. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, Peter says, Even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. In other words, Jesus, I love you more than these other chumps. I love you the most. How does Jesus start this conversation with Peter in John 21? Verse 15, do you love me more than these? Jesus uses Peter's own words, a painfully familiar setting, asking three times again. Jesus brings Peter back to the point where he failed. Why would he do that? To rub Peter's face in it? To make him feel more ashamed? No. It's because it's only at the place of failure that we can experience true forgiveness True redemption, true change, right? I've seen this work its way out in CrossFit. And I know many of you just rolled your eyes because it's a CrossFit illustration. But listen, I'm pretty sure I've only used three CrossFit illustrations in two years. So you can endure one more. I'm not super strong. I'm not really good, but I want to get better. And one of the the ways that my coach has suggested for me to improve is to start videoing myself lifting. Now, I don't even like listening to my own voice on the sermons that are recorded or on the podcasts that we do, much less watch myself on video. It's embarrassing. I look ridiculous. I'm always like in some state of disheveled look, and I've always got some goofy grin on my face when I'm lifting weights. I don't like doing it, but it has been helpful because when I watch the recording of myself failing to lift a weight, I'm able to pick out the places where I messed up. Maybe I I bent my elbows when I shouldn't have. Maybe I'm moving in an inconsistent way. Maybe I, I pulled up before I stood up. Whatever it is, I can see what went wrong because I'm back there again. I'm at the point of the failure. And that has helped lead to change. So what does it look like for us to return to our failure instead of retreating? 
I'm not sure exactly what it looks like for you. I don't know exactly what failure you're thinking of, what God brought to mind this morning. But I can tell you that it requires feeling the weight of what you've done wrong. So often when we fail, we just want to move on. We don't even want to acknowledge it. After all, sitting in failure, it doesn't feel good. Let's just move on to better things, right? Let's try harder next time and don't even worry about how it's affected us now. Being able to return to failure looks like asking God to help you see the damage that you've caused yourself, the damage that maybe you've caused to others. If you have failed someone else, it's asking them to help you understand the pain that you've caused them and believing them when they tell you. That's really, really, really hard. But honestly, we've just gotten too adept at glossing over our failure. I know I said something wrong. You know I said something wrong. We both know it shouldn't have happened that way, but we don't need to talk about it again, do we? Let's just move on. And we do that. That's not healing that's not change, right? When we have our time of silent confession each Sunday, don't try to push the specific sins out of your mind. Let them flood in. Proclaim them in your brain to Jesus. No one else can hear you. God can. That way, when a forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus is pronounced to you, you know that you are being forgiven for specific sins, We have to stop being afraid of our failure, and we have to start entering into it, actually owning it and owning the consequences of what we've done wrong. That's what it looks like to return, and we need to return so that we can be restored. Don't retreat. Return. Be restored. Notice Jesus' responses to Peter continually push Peter toward the same thing, toward being a shepherd. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's always the goal for Peter that Jesus has, right? Jesus isn't playing with Peter. He's not hoping that Peter will eventually answer correctly so that then they can move on to stage two, right? Jesus' call for Peter's life is consistent, In in the face of Peter's failure, Jesus' call for Peter's life continues. Peter wants to fish, Jesus wants him to shepherd. You and I function as if Jesus has no tolerance for followers who fail. We think that our failure removes us from his ranks and that we can no longer talk to him. We can no longer come back to him until we've made it right, until we've established a pattern of good behavior. But what Jesus is showing Peter here is that he is less concerned with us doing everything perfectly than he is with how we handle our failure. He knew Peter would deny him, that Peter would fail. Yet, his call on Peter's life to be a shepherd of the people of God remained consistent. This conversation Right, is not about Jesus reestablishing his confidence in Peter, checking to make sure that Peter has done a good job of changing his life enough. Right, this conversation is about restoring Peter's understanding of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's why he ends the conversation with the call, follow me. This isn't about Jesus building confidence in Peter. 
It's about Peter remembering and having confidence in Jesus. Peter isn't being restored to good behavior, to right living, to earning his rank back. He's being restored to a proper view of himself. Now, is living rightly important? Yes. Is fleeing from sin important? Yes. If you are following Jesus through the power of his spirit at work in you, God is rooting out the sin in your life and causing you to look more like Jesus so that you can turn from sin. But what's more important is knowing that you will fail. And when you fail, this is the way Jesus wants you to handle it. Right? This is the way to change. And it's incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly scary, because it forces us to sacrifice all of our defenses, all of our strengths, everything that we rely on. It is to sacrifice that Jesus restores us. This verse 17 says that Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him a third time. It's at that point that they've made it all the way back to the point where Peter failed and Peter was grieved. But you and I, we know that feeling when our failure is out in the open for everybody to see. Grief just doesn't quite describe it. It feels more like death. And what Jesus is showing Peter and us is that because Jesus has died for us, what feels like death actually brings life. That's how the gospel works. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again for us, he brings to us new life. And how do we receive that new life? It's not by trying to make it happen. It's by sacrificing the things that we're confident in, that we cling to in order to bring us safety and peace and comfort. Letting those things go, knowing that our only safety, our only peace, our only comfort is the new life he gives to us. Recently, somebody told me that I had hurt them because I had promised on two occasions to do something with them on a specific day, but then they saw on that day I did something with someone else. Now, I'm being purposefully vague because I'm confident there are more conversations that need to be had about this situation, and also because I didn't ask for permission to use this illustration. So hang with me in the vagueness, but hear the details. As this person was telling me how I had hurt them, what I had said in a conversation in March and again in September, how I had promised I would do something with them, Everything inside of me was screaming, no, 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 that's not true. I never would have said that. There's no way that I would have promised that. And especially not in September because I'm pretty sure I had already made plans with that other person at that point. Everything inside of me felt the terror of being falsely accused, the anger, the frustration. I wanted to retreat behind my facts, my memory, to pick apart their argument piece by piece, because that is what I'm good at. But instead, God extinguished that terror and filled me with peace about not defending myself, with acknowledging the fact that I, a person who often fails, probably failed in some unknown and unintentional way, this person. I failed them, and I was indeed responsible for the pain that they were experiencing 
Maybe not all of it, but at least some of it. 99 times out of 100, that would not have happened. I would have defended myself to the death. But in this moment, looking back, I was able to accept the reality that I fail often. And so I was able to hear that person's pain, to take responsibility for the part I was guilty of, and to repent accordingly. This situation helped me also realize that I need to communicate better, more clearly, particularly when it comes to this person, particularly when it comes to this date. I'm not sure that I can conjure up many other interactions like this where God stepped in and allowed me to respond this way from 2019, if any at all, right? But looking back at that conversation, it was a strangely, painfully familiar situation. There was no charcoal fire, but this was an opportunity where someone was saying, do you care? Do you care? Do you care? And in this moment, God enabled me to live differently than I wanted to live, right? This is the pattern of change that Jesus presents to us. He restores us to following him, to sacrificing ourselves because it's in that sacrifice that we receive new life. What have you failed at? What failure, what sin are you running from? Are you retreating into comfort uh, that you can control? Don't retreat. Return and be restored. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you pursue us. Even when we try to escape, escape situations and consequences of our actions, escape our own failure, you push in and you invite us to sit there and to see that we cause ourselves and other people pain. And in that moment, you show us, you take that pain upon yourself on the cross. And you tell us what feels like death brings us new life. I ask that you would help us be willing to own our failure, recognizing that we all fail. It doesn't make us unique. It actually makes us similar Help us to hear the pain that we've caused other people and to take ownership over the actions that we have committed. Help us also to be quick to listen and slow to speak, just as you were. Fill us with your spirit, with new life, because that is the only way that we can change. We thank you for your son who died and rose again for us, who gives us that new life through your spirit. And we pray in his mighty and powerful name. Amen.